Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hey friends, today we're going to talk about the concept of the inner terrain, our immune system, the gut microbiome, and how to build a healthy and robust kiddo. But I will say, even if you're not a caretaker for children, I this is still a super um, important conversation and will still apply to just about every living human being. Um, it's an interview with Dr. Melina Roberts. She's a naturopath. And before I let you hear our chat, I do want to say a couple of things. First is um, one question I had asked her is like, what are the big needle movers when it comes to food? What are the three biggest things to do to get the most bang for your buck? And she said, go gluten-free, dairy-free, and remove uh, refined sugars. And I agreed with that to some extent. You know, of course, we all have our own philosophies when it comes to food. Um, One thing she had recommended doing as a first step is to replace gluten products with gluten-free products and to replace dairy foods with dairy-free options. And I want to just make sure that we're super clear uh, in that that is not always necessarily a healthier option. Sometimes it can actually be more of a lateral move or a step back. Um, I have had Hattie on a, a gluten-free diet her whole life. And uh, for moments in time, she was on a dairy-free diet. But I actually did the uh, testing for her to see if dairy was a problem. And turns out it wasn't. Um, and by the way, the testing that I do is through Vibrant Wellness. They they look at things on the peptide level. So it's a very sensitive food sensitive sensitivity test. I don't think all food sensitivity tests are created equal, but this is the one that I use for my family, for myself, for my kiddo, and then in my private practice as well. And you can actually purchase those on my website. I'll link it up in the show notes. Um, But turns out that that cow dairy wasn't an issue for her. So to replace um, like a, a piece of grass-fed cheese or um, a non-sweetened grass-fed yogurt with some dairy-free alternative that has a ton of sugar and fillers and weird additives, that wouldn't really be a healthier option. So I just want to make sure that that is clear. I think what Dr. Molina's point is, is that that's first step. So it's when you're you're taking foods out, um, replacing them with uh, a, an option is better than just not having any replacement in the beginning. But I would also say that f- rather than focusing on what we're pulling out, we can also focus on what we're adding to our children's diets and adding 
fruits and veggies and high antioxidant foods, super, super, super important. So if you're not yet at the point where you're going to say, hmm, I should pull out gluten or hmm, I should pull out dairy, then um, really focus on adding nutrient-dense foods to the diet. And I know that that can be a little bit challenging for some kiddos to get all of the fruits and the veggies, all those antioxidant-rich foods. Uh, One thing that we'll utilize, even though we eat plenty of fruits and veggies, is Organifi powders. So they have a red powder, they have a green powder, they even have a a gold powder with different types of um, blends. And it's a really good way. They're super palatable. Um, Hattie drinks all three varieties. They're super palatable and and uh, kiddos really seem to enjoy them. So if you have a challenging time getting your kid to eat veggies or fruits, um, that's another option. And I'm not saying that they should replace the whole foods, but sometimes we just have to throw ourselves a bone. Another one that we've been doing a lot is their immunity blend. So it has, uh, it's orange. It kind of looks like tang when you make it. So that brings back some memories for our kids from that, like the 80s and the 90s. Um, but it's orange juice powder. It's acerola. There's some turmeric in there. And it's just a really great way to support our immunity right now. And they come in little packets, so you could even throw them in your kiddo's lunchbox if they're going to school. So that's another option. You can check them out, organifi.com forward slash funk. That is going to save you 15% on anything. But we have been utilizing those. I always like to share what we're doing in the whole household. We've been doing a lot of those. And um, one final thing is if you're listening to this and you're, you're questioning whether or not you pull out dairy, I want to give you some, um, some symptoms of dairy sensitivity that are often overlooked. So with dairy sensitivity, we tend to think of like, oh, okay, stomach aches. And yeah, sometimes that can absolutely be it. Constipation is a big one, sometimes diarrhea, but I tend to see a lot of constipation with dairy sensitivities. So that could be a red flag if your kiddo is struggling with constipation, but any type of skin stuff, acne, eczema, dairy is a huge trigger for for those in some cases. Headaches, migraines can sometimes be a dairy sensitivity, and mucus. Big, like if if your kiddo produces a lot of mucus, has a lot of um, stuffiness, has a lot of sinus issues, that would all be a good indication to consider pulling out dairy for 30, 60 days and see if those symptoms resolve themselves. So of course you could do the the, um, the food sensitivity testing, but it's not cheap. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not inexpensive to do that stuff. So just doing a good old fashioned elimination style, pull out the stuff diet um, can be really helpful. Okay. So those are my thoughts. Um, and without much further ado, here is the conversation. Welcome back, friends. Today, I have Dr. Melina Roberts on the phone or on the line. (laughs) It's like back in like 1986 (laughs) Um, on the landline. Uh, We're going to talk about building a healthy child. So Dr. Melina Roberts, she is a naturopathic doctor, the author of Building a Healthy Child and founder of Advanced Naturopathic Medical Center in Calgary. She is recognized as one of the top biological medicine practitioners in North America and is a lecturer for the, what kind of academy is that? The Paracelsus Clinic. Yeah, Paracelsus Academy. (laughs) 
She's the leading authority in the field of naturopathic medicine, specializing in biological medicine, effectively treating digestive issues, chronic disease, and cancer. We don't really hear too much about cancer. I, I feel like it's kind of an under-discussed, um, I mean, we hear plenty about cancer, but from more of an um, alternative medicine, functional medicine, and naturopathic medicine approach, I feel like we don't hear a lot about it. So that's really cool that that's one of your specialties. Um, you're also the graduate of the University of Waterloo and the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. You did a two-year postgraduate study in biological medicine with, why can't I say that word? <laughs> yeah, the Paracelsus Clinic in Switzerland. Yeah, In Switzerland. Oh my goodness, you're all over the place. Yeah. And then you were selected to be a TEDx speaker for 2020. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to talk about how we can build up some healthy kiddos. Yes, me too. I think it's an important topic, especially with what's going on in the world right now. I mean, no kidding. Uh, and especially right now, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're recording in September and I'm going to air it pretty close to our record date because um, I think with the back to school push, children's health is top of mind for a lot of parents right now. So um, talking about how we can build out a healthy, robust, antiviral terrain would be <laughs> really great. Um, one thing that I've noticed on social media, so I actually, I was talking about the microbiome and I, and I just spelled out the word virus, not in relation to COVID-19, I uh, just, or coronavirus, I spelled out the word virus because, hey, guess what? We have viruses living in our guts. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry if it, and nobody knew that, but it's true. And um, I, the, my um, Instagram post got flagged. So there's a lot of stuff going on on social media. Um, and what I have found is that anybody who's talking about inner terrain has kind of been dropped into this bucket of conspiracy theorist. So this, this, this idea of um, the microbiome or talking about the inner, inner terrain has been made synonymous with conspiracy theories. And that really makes my skin just boil because talking about the impact our microbiome can have on our immune system, it's not the same thing as saying like, don't ever wear masks or like start licking people's faces. It's just <laughs> in the, a big thing that everyone's saying is like, well, it's science, vaccines, it's science, it's science, masks, it's science. It's like the microbiome is science too. <laughs> yes. The concept of the inner trade. Hey, guess what? That's also science. And I think to not not to discuss this stuff is is really really short-sighted so yeah. maybe what we can do is um uh lead up to this conversation by briefly overviewing why we're in a situation where we don't have the best inner terrain so I, for example the way we birth in america i know that that's something that you discuss in your yeah. book and you talk about a lot but also potentially more importantly what can we do right now like if we need to course correct how do we course correct because um i used to and you might have found this to be true i used to travel around teaching lectures about the gut microbiome and this yeah. concept of inner terrain and as i was talking about it i could see faces fall in the audience and a lot of moms definitely a lot of moms because they're like oh great i i screwed up my kid i, I didn't know any of this i screwed up my kid you know, mom guilt is a real thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to just, I want to make sure that people don't walk away from this conversation feeling that way. Um, so why don't we, why don't we start it off by you just introducing the concept of inner terrain and why ours is not optimal? <laughs> 
Yeah, this is a huge topic because I think that this is actually not going to make people feel that they um, that uh, they made mistakes and they have that mom guilt. I think what this is going to help to give people is it's going to help to empower people that we actually have control of our immune system. And we have control of our immune system by how we feed our bodies and how we feed our children. So what we really need to understand is that about 80% of our immune system is housed in our digestive tract. And this is a key component that if we can work on improving the balance of our digestive tract, that we can actually be working on improving our immune system. And I hope that what you see is that that's going to be empowering for parents, that we have a lot of control here. Now, in terms of that digestive tract, um, you're talking a lot about the internal terrain and you are speaking my language, Erin, because that's exactly what I talk about in terms of our body is that we have control over our body's internal terrain and that's going to play such a huge role in how that whole immune system functions. Because what we want to be setting up, because the truth is, here's the truth in terms of viruses. Um, we are coming into contact with thousands of viruses on a daily basis. And what we, what we need to set up our body is we need to set up our body so that when our body, when our immune system comes across a virus, that our immune system is strong enough to be able to handle that infection so that um, our body can defend itself um, very strongly. So it's like we're going to be coming across, um, you know, any sort of virus from the flu virus to the common cold to potentially the coronavirus. And when we come across these viruses, how do our, how is our body going to react? How is our body going to be able to handle this infection? And the best thing we can do is build up our body's internal terrain so that we can handle that infectious agent that comes across our immune system. Now, parts of our immune system, a huge part is the microbiome, which is one of the topics you had talked about earlier. Now, this microbiome is this ecosystem of bacteria and fungus that live within our digestive tract. And the better able we are, uh, uh, we are able to uh, get this immune, get this microbiome in better balance. So when I say balance, we say a balance between healthy and unhealthy bacteria. But what, what we mean by those unhealthy bacteria is those unhealthy bacteria are more, if we have those healthy guys, then we will outnumber, in a sense, those unhealthy bacteria. But if we do something like um, take an antibiotic and we kill off a bunch of those unhealthy bacteria, uh, sorry, we kill off a bunch of those healthy bacteria, then what happens is that those unhealthy bacteria are basically like opportunistic pathogens. So they will now take up the space of those healthy bacteria, and then you will have an overgrowth of those unhealthy bacteria in that digestive tract. So we want a better balance of those healthy bacteria to unhealthy bacteria, because they have this symbiotic relationship in terms of that gut flora. And then what we also need in that digestive tract is we need diversity 
of those different microbes in the gut. So we need lots of different species. And the more diversity we have in the species and the colonies of bacteria and fungus that live within our gut, the healthier we are. So that's where we need to be feeding those different bacteria and also trying to introduce different microbes into that gut to uh, get more diversity into that gut flora. So that's one major component of that digestive tract. And then the lining of the digestive tract um, is just this like one cell, believe it or not, it's just a one cell deep lining of the digestive tract. And between those cells is these proteins that hold those cells together called tight junctions. And what can happen is that we can have damage to those tight junctions. So then we have these spaces between the cells. So then food or toxins that are in our digestive tract that are not completely digested can end up in the bloodstream. And just on the other side of those, that one cell thick um, lining of the digestive tract is our immune system. And so then if our immune system is activated in that bloodstream, then it's going to, and we have a lot of those holes in the digestive tract. So food that's not completely digested is ending up in the bloodstream, then it causes a whole immune response. And with that whole immune response, then we can get a host of different uh, symptoms. So you can notice this by an increase in inflammation, and we notice this with allergies, we see this in skin conditions, and then we can also see it escalate into turning into things like chronic disease and autoimmune disease and cancers. So that's why we really need to work on healing up that digestive tract so that it doesn't have those holes in the digestive tract and making sure that we're not taking in anything in our diet that can damage those tight junctions so that we end up with those holes in the digestive tract. And then we also wanna be supporting that microbiome, so that balance of our gut flora. And by doing all of that, we will be helping to boost up our immune system. So that kind of gives you a little bit of um, idea that if we can take care of this digestive tract, that we will actually be able to make sure that our boundaries, our immune system is as strong as it can be. And when we have that strong immune system, when we come across a virus, that our body will be able to protect itself. And I think it's so important what you said is that we're, our, we're constantly going to be exposed to many different types of viruses and other potential pathogens. And the goal is not to completely sterilize our outer, you know, our, our outer environment. It's a pretty futile goal, but more so to ramp up our inner, our inner environment and make exactly. sure that's working appropriately. What would you say? I, I would even say that our obsession with cleanliness and our obsession with sterilization, whether it's bleaching everything or hand sanitizing everything, that has actually led to issues with our own inner microbiome. And I think that's one of the contributing factors to why we're in such a mess. 
Yeah, for sure. There's a number of things that are decreasing the biodiversity of our gut flora. And um, hand sanitizers is one of them because it's killing off a good a good amount of our healthy bacteria. So I think that us over sanitizing is actually going to eventually lead to us having a decreased immune system. So we have to be really caught conscious of this, that we're not over sanitizing. And um, antibiotics, um, we are um, known to just um, uh, over consume antibiotics. They've shown studies that children uh, by the age of 18 have had 20 rounds of antibiotics on average. And when you say on average, that means that some people actually consumed more than 20 rounds of antibiotics. So if you think of that, um, antibiotics for sure in some situations can be life-saving. So I'm not against antibiotics, but they definitely are over-prescribed. And the challenge is, is that when you take antibiotics, yes, it'll kill off infectious agents, but it will also kill off a number of those healthy bacteria and fungus in a number of those colonies. And remember, when we kill off a number of those good guys, then those opportunistic pathogens will just go in and take those places. So then we end just, up with overgrowths of bacteria and fungus. Yeah. I'm going to jump in right here because yeah. I feel like we've been talking about the ill effects of antibiotic overuse for a long time. And I think it's almost like this like ghost story. We tell it like, you know, like by the fire at night. Like, <laughs> Ooh. But I actually had to go on antibiotics this summer. Um, I got an ear infection and it just kind of got out of control and I was so sick I couldn't get out of bed and I obviously tried all of the the botanicals and the herbal antimicrobials for whatever reason they weren't working so I went on one antibiotic it wasn't even like a cocktail it was just one and it was a 10-day course and I did a stool test on myself afterward because I wanted to check out oh okay what are we working with now and I did all of the quote-unquote right things super diverse diet I took antibiotics I took Saccharomyces boulardii like all of the all the yeah, good stuff yeah. and I was shocked at what a hit it took. Almost all of my beneficial, um, my beneficial species were were low, post antibiotics. So I know that we 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 talk about this stuff in theory, but like we, you and I as as clinicians see it in practice. Like this is really, really happening. It's not just a you know like an old wives' tale that we're running around telling. Like this is causing problems, like in real time. Yeah, for sure it is. And um, yeah, and I do realize there are situations uh, like yours where you do need to take them. But what you have to also make sure you're doing, which I'm sure, sure you did afterwards, is that you have to take all of the steps to be able to rebuild and repopulate that gut flora in order to keep your system strong. And if you don't do that rebuild, then your system will over time just keep getting weaker and weaker. And all of a sudden you're saying, why is my immune system not working the way it should be um, when I come across a virus? And it's and it can be that that you have not done the work to rebuild that gut flora. And I tend to see a lot lately, a lot, lot, lot lately is this um, chronic candida and also paired with H. pylori. I tend to see those kind of come in a, in a like a one-two punch. Yeah. And, you know... 
in a uh, very high levels of strep, not the good strep, and high levels of staff. That seems to be a very common trend that I'm seeing in people's uh, guts these days. And, you know, we have to, we have to, it's almost like the new westernized gut, you know, it's like, it's a dysbiotic gut. And so we have to say like, what the heck is contributing to this? And so um, the overuse of antibiotics is definitely one of those things. Um, so overuse of antibiotics, um, over sterilizing our external environment. Those are two that you touched on. What else is getting us into this situation? Yeah. So the other ones are, um, pesticides, herbicides, insecticides that our foods are sprayed with. And what those are designed to do is they are designed to kill off different microbes. Um, but when we ingest them because um, they've been sprayed onto our foods and then we ingest those foods, we actually get a number of um, of die-off of our good, healthy gut flora from those pesticides, insecticides, and herbicides that we're ingesting. So that's why it's ideal if you could consume things like organic foods that haven't been sprayed excessively with the um, with the, all of those um, different insecticides, pesticides, herbicides. Um, so that's another huge one. Uh, the big one that we often will, you'll often hear about, um, especially in the alternative world, is the glyphosate, which is also known as Roundup. And the glyphosate is definitely one that will kill off a lot of those good, healthy gut flora in our gut. And the glyphosate has also been shown to damage those uh, tight junctions. So can basically poke holes in that digestive tract. So this is definitely another one that we want to be trying to avoid is that glyphosate. And again, that's been sprayed on our vegetables and on our grains uh, to a large extent. And even in terms of um, our industrial meats, uh, that's some of the food that they're eating. And then it ends up in, in their, in their, uh, in their meats, which ends up in in our in us because we're consuming them so you know these are these are a number of different ways that that we are taking in a lot of those um, those toxic loads that are killing off a lot of our good healthy gut flora and then making it challenging for us to be able to properly build a good strong foundation of uh, diversity and balance in that gut flora. And you had talked about, you know, even some of those um, bacteria that you're talking about in terms of like the, the staph and the strep and um, those are actually natural parts of our gut flora. And it's only if we have a die off of the healthy bacteria that those, those help those really would call them those unhealthy bacteria or opportunistic um, bacteria in the gut that they actually take hold and then they overgrow right you're not going to see um, a candida overgrowth if you have a good amount of those healthy bacteria it means that you've actually killed off colonies of those healthy guys and now like a candida can go and grow where those those healthy guys were and now you have spaces and now those um, colonies of a fungus can now take over or overgrowth of bacteria so what you have to realize is that 
you know, like all of those, like the candida, the H. pylori, the staph, um, the strep, that they're natural parts of our body's terrain. And they will only overgrow if we have a killing off of the good, healthy guys. So these are um, things that you have to be really aware of and trying to avoid in in the diet. And so that's why we need to be really careful with overuse of antibiotics, um, uh, overuse of hand sanitizers, um, overuse of um, just having the the foods that have been sprayed with the the pesticides and the glyphosates. So I that well, you bring up a really important point. I so much prefer referring to these type of bacteria as opportunistic versus yeah. bad. I mean, good yeah. bad it gets the point across, right? But opportunistic really showcases what exactly is going on here. When they have the opportunity to thrive, they will take over, right? That's what they do. And of course, there's some like overt pathogens that we need to, you know, that's never good that we we want to avoid those to the best of our ability, but really it's it's just a it's an imbalance and it's the way that we've modernized our world that that really tips the scales toward imbalance. Um, I want to I want to ask you just in case somebody's listening and they're like, "Huh, what does hand sanitizer, an antibacterial hand sanitizer, how how can that impact what's going on in my gut?" Well, um, yeah, the examples I, I like to use is that it, those those hand sanitizers do end up, um, first of all, like they do end up in our gut. So, you know, we like we put them all over our hands. Um, first of all, every time you put anything onto your hands, it gets absorbed into your bloodstream. So anything you put onto your skin. But then we we touch our foods, and then um, or we touch the foods that we're making for our kids, and then that gets ingested. And when you're touching anything, then it's um, eating, taking, you know, like you're eating, say your lunch, you're having a sandwich, and that, um, and then your hands are touching those that have just been rubbed with that hand sanitizer and then we're taking that into our digestive tract so um yeah easily that's happening and i see that happening um in terms of um what's happening in terms of what our kids have to do in the schools um is that they're told that you know before you have lunch make sure you put some hand sanitizer on your hands they're putting hand sanitizer on their hands and then they're eating their lunch and so they're basically ingesting that hand sanitizer um so yes yeah that's that's typically the way it is that it's on your hands it's on your foods it it just gets ingested do you have, um, or can you recommend that the answer to this might be absolutely no, but do you have a recommendation for an alternative? If, if somebody's listening and their kiddo is in school being asked to use hand sanitizer, do you have maybe a, a plan B for that? Um, so I like, I think there, so I'm not going to give an exact company, but I think that there is companies that are doing some hand sanitizers with like using like essential oils. Um, and, and that makes it like, so that they're not ingesting these, these antibacterials, but, um, but they are, but they are still acting as hand sanitizers. So I think like, yeah, ones that are, um, uh, essential oil based or even like some that are botanically based 
um, will be less damaging to that gut flora. And you had mentioned a few times just describing what the actual GI tract is and why it informs our immune system. Um, you brought up this this whole punching effect that we have in the lining of the small intestine. And you know, a lot of listeners are familiar with the concept of intestinal hyperpermeability or leaky mm-hmm. gut. Yes. And this is a this is a big. Um, point of irritation for me is that people will maybe read a symptom list of leaky gut and they're like, I have that, I have that. So then they go to a blog and they read a a leaky gut protocol, right? (laughs) And then they mainline glutamine all day long and they're like, don't worry, I got my leaky gut under control. I'm taking pounds of glutamine, maybe a little turmeric, maybe a little zinc, you know, like I've got the whole leaky gut protocol on lock. But what really needs to happen, and I think any good clinician can explain this, is that First, you need to figure out what is driving the hyperpermeability. What are the triggers? What's leading to it? Because glutamine isn't going to save you if you're not removing those (laughs) triggers. And so you brought up quite a few, but let's talk about the food things specifically. Because I mean, kid feeding is hard. And I consider myself one of the lucky ones because I was already in this field. This was already my profession when I got pregnant and when I had my child. So she grew up eating like I eat. And so there was never this uh, pivot that we had to do with her diet. You know, sometimes parents learn, you know, we just, we do the best we can with the knowledge that we have. And when you learn better, you do better. Right. And so I, I, what I'm finding and why I really don't love to talk about kid feeding, to be honest with you, is that this pivot this family pivot to eating quote unquote healthier can be really challenging. So can we talk about in your estimation, what maybe are the three biggest needle movers when it comes to health? Like if parents are really overwhelmed with the concept of healthy eating, because parents are overwhelmed with everything right now, where are they going to get the most bang for their buck? What are the things that they should really focus on? So to me, and I really agree with you in terms of making sure that we um, look at what the causes are as opposed to just taking some supplements to um, help address um, that leaky gut picture is that you have to first, I call it putting out the fire. So you first have to put out the fire, you have to remove those major inflammatory foods that are causing um, a lot of that damage of the lining of the digestive tract. And the three foods that I would be removing from the diet would be gluten, cow's dairy, and refined sugar. So uh, gluten would be your bread, your pasta, your pastries. And the challenge with gluten is that it's been shown to actually break down those tight junctions and cause some of those holes in the digestive tract. So um, there's lots of challenges with gluten and and it's shown to be a major inflammatory food, so causing lots of problems within the gut. And the other one is cow's dairy. So that's your milk, yogurt, cheese, ice cream. And let, let me just go back and uh, there's lots of alternatives in terms of gluten as well. So, um, you know, my, my first stage is usually to just have people replace what they typically eat with a gluten-free option. So if they typically have like a whole wheat pasta, then just change that to like a rice or a quinoa pasta. 
So just making those simple alternatives. If they usually have like a whole wheat bread and toast, then change that over to a gluten-free um, gluten-free bread. So we're just doing some simple exchanges. And that's the same thing that we'll do with a cow's dairy. So the problem with cow's dairy is that um, it has this protein in it called casein. And casein is a large protein. It's designed for cow's digestive tracts, not our human digestive tracts. So we can't break it down effectively. So it ends up causing inflammation in our gut. Again, damaging the lining of the digestive tract, throwing off the balance of that microbiome. And there are some great alternatives in terms of cow's dairy. So things like anything, any other dairy, so anything like goat or sheep. And then there's also other um, alternatives like coconut milk, almond milk, um, any of those nut milks that you can use instead of the cow's dairy. So just switching over. So um, switching over because the other one, you know, things that people typically will have in their diet will be cheese and yogurt um, and drinking milk and ice cream. So just trying to find some of those alternatives. And in terms of those alternatives, you know, we got, there's coconut yogurt and almond yogurts, um, and there's goat cheese and sheep cheese. And, um, and then there's all of those uh, coconut milks and almond milks um, that we can be replacing. So, you know, yeah, our starting stage is just to replace what you typically have with one of the foods that are are less inflammatory, and then and then sugar is a big one, um, especially in our kids' diets. You know, a lot of um, any packaged foods will contain a large amount of sugar. It's it's really um, really sad because that's how they really market to kids. Is that you know they have these. Uh, sugars and they have all of these you know different dyes and colors that are uh, actually quite toxic and damaging to our kids but it's really appealing to them because it tastes really good but we really don't want to be giving our kids uh, the white refined sugars um, especially you know as you head towards Halloween and it's you know everything is sugar so we want to so we can still, you know, um, have kids have some of that sweet taste, but without having the sugars. So I'm okay with um, I'm okay with kids having some of the natural sugars, so like real maple syrup, raw honey, um, monk fruit. So those are some good sweeteners that can be used, and then um, and then some like other natural sweeteners like like dates or even having fruits. So they're still having, they can still have the sweetness in their diet, but without having the white refined sugars. So those would be my top three, would be the gluten, the cow's dairy, and the white refined sugar. And I guess I would just, so my daughter's been gluten-free since forever. Um, and we, we didn't really do any packaged foods for a while. And when she went to school, we started putting a little bit more of like the gluten-free breads and the gluten-free crackers and that sort of thing. And I just want to make sure that this is landing clearly with the audience is that not uh, gluten-free is not necessarily synonymous with healthy because yeah. you can get have a lot of gluten-free junk. Um, and one thing that we found, so Hattie was having these really 
uh, horrible coughing episodes with a tremendous amount of mucus. And I kept thinking, oh, it's, it's dairy for sure. So we tested her on the peptide level. So the most, you know, a very, very, very um, specific uh, and um, accurate test for cow's dairy and all the other dairies. And um, I did some other things, corn being one of them. And it turns out she was having no reaction to cow's dairy, but a really intense reaction to corn. And so much of the gluten-free products contain corn, which is a pretty yeah. common allergen, particularly if somebody has a, a sensitivity to gluten, they're, they're far more likely to also be um, sensitive to corn as well. Um, and we were doing all organic corn products. So it wasn't necessarily a, you know, a glyphosate issue. It was truly a corn issue. So I just want to be, I want to throw that out there for folks. Yeah, that, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a very good point, right? Because um, that's why I say that's what we do at the beginning is that we want to just make it easy in terms of making those alternatives. But the challenge is, is that a lot of those gluten-free products, they they might be free of those inflammatory foods, but they tend to not be uh, nutrient dense. And, and that's a challenge. And then they also will still, so they don't have, you know, gluten in them, but yeah, they could be still filled with um, corn products or soy products that are still inflammatory for um, some people. For sure. Let's um, let switch gears a little bit and talk about movement and physical activity. Because I, I can tell just by looking at your Instagram that you're an active person. So I bet you have some good things to say about this. We're, you know, we're a very sedentary society. And I, I'm wondering, this is me just like privately scratching my head, if there's even more of an uptick with distance learning. Um, because kids, so so we're fully distance learning. I know that your daughter is back in school full force. But um, there's a lot of um, required screen time for the kids who are distance learning. And we have, my family has personally opted out of some of, of her online classes because she's six. And in my opinion, she needs to be out. She needs to be moving her body, getting fresh air, getting dirty, not just sitting at a computer for hours a day. And I don't, you know, so of course I'm always the squeaky wheel, <laughs> like every situation. And I really don't mean to be the difficult one, but I'm in the research day in and day out. I know the ill effects that this has on our children. And it's one of those situations where it's like, try to step to mama bear. You're gonna lose. I'm going to fight to the death for my kids' mental health and physical health. And this is just a non-negotiable for me that she needs to be moving her body and not glued to a screen. So can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? I know you've recently been talking a lot about exercise and its effects on the microbiome. So that comes into play here too. Yeah. The So I, I'm a huge believer that our bodies are designed to move. And it's kind of cool to see the research um, with exercise in the microbiome and that um, they've done studies and they've shown that the, that the groups that exercised um, and basically moved their bodies actually had an increase in the biodiversity of their microbiome than those groups that were sedentary. And that um, didn't and the didn't change the diet it was just have they both groups um, had the same diet but the ones who exercised were had that had that increase in biodiversity so it just shows us you know I think we should all know this but you know it just shows us in the research that supports that that 
um, that the more we can move, the better our our health is going to be. It's going to improve that biodiversity. It's going to improve um, that microbiome. It's going to improve our immune system overall. And you know, our our bodies are just designed to move and. I think one of the, you know, the worst advice that we've been given through through all of this is to stay inside, um, don't do anything, um, just stay inside, just stay away from this virus. And I think that's some of the worst advice that we could be given, like to tell people that um, they shouldn't be moving and that they shouldn't be exercising and they, they shouldn't be getting outside and getting fresh air and getting natural vitamin D um, and moving their body the way it was designed to move. That's really, you know, some basic things that we could be telling people to do to help boost their immune system. So yes, I'm, I'm a strong believer that our bodies are designed to move and that we should, we should be trying to move them um, and doing that outside is even even better and making sure that we get the fresh air, getting the oxygen in and making sure that we also um, that we're also getting some good vitamin D um, because that's also going to be helping to uh, increase the uh, robustness of our immune system because vitamin D plays a big role in that. Awesome. So, yeah. um, I know we're coming up on our time. I have one final question for you. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on the effect. This is actually a listener question somebody wrote in. What is all of this social isol- isolation, social distancing, um, not being engaged in community, not mixing it up with other people? What are the potential effects of that on our overall immunity? Yeah, and I think that that's another thing that's um, going to make it challenging on our immune system when we go from um, being locked up in our homes, not having um, social contact with other people, and um, and because it's really not realizing that that's how we actually build our immune system and make our system stronger. Is how we build that immune system is how we interact with other people and in our environment and that's how we actually um, gain more and diverse microbes is our communication with the environment and with um, other other people and um, other other microbes that we're coming across um, in the environment so the air that we're breathing um, you know us playing in the dirt um, or gardening um, anything that will get us in touch with the microbes of the earth will help to increase that diversity of our gut and also our interaction with other people um, so we're exchanging microbes and that will also help to increase our immune system getting out into different environments we are picking up di- different microbes um, from those different environments so um, you know traveling is some another way that we're actually increasing that biodiversity because we're coming across different microbes and and that be- increases the biodiversity of that that microbiome so so I think that um, overall what we're doing in terms of not coming in contact, having that social isolation, um, 
in addition to the effects that it's going to have on our mental health in terms of not having that sense of community and that social interaction that's so important for us as humans as we are social animals um, is that it's also going to be um, overall decreasing our immune system so so we need to um, get out and and make sure we we have as much contact with the earth and um, and traveling around even if it's just in our communities just to different areas to just try to breathe in some of that other other microbiomes um, just so that we can make sure that we keep our systems robust um, even through everything that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, you know, I, I feel like there's just not space for for that conversation without people jumping down your throats and accusing you of being like, you know, anti this or anti that. But really, it's like kind of a case of don't don't shoot the messenger. You know, perhaps these social distancing practices that we're doing are, are you know, keeping us healthy in some ways, but um, we, we're kind of setting ourselves up for problems down the road. So I, I love the fact that um, you're given some, some, some ideas how to continue to support the microbiome, even if we are practicing social distancing. So I appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find more of you? So my website is advancednaturopathic.com and you can find out a lot of information on there. Um, and then the social media place that I hang out the most is on Instagram and my handle there is Dr. Melina Roberts and I'm always just trying to give people more information to improve their health. Perfect. And we will be sure to link those up in the show notes. Well, thank you again, Dr. Molino. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. This has been a fun conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 